I always like to ask, what constitutes good evidence for you? A lot of times I'll get a blank face. It's just evidence. No, there are different types of evidence. What constitutes good evidence for an idea or against an idea? And for me, the way that I got taught that, and I'm not just throwing out my opinion here. I'm talking about the way scientists look at evidence, the way criminologists like to look at evidence, is that there are three key factors to it. It has to be tangible. It has to be recreatable, reproducible. And then it also has to be falsifiable. There are over 4,000 recognized religions in the world. Which one are you leaving? Why are you deconverting? Welcome to the Deconversion Podcast, where we explore the experiences and challenges of deconverting from religious faith. We are here to discuss and explore this topic and help you on your journey to living an authentic life. Three, two, one. What's up, Tim? How's it going, Isaac? Good, man. We launched the podcast. We did. I was excited. Were you excited? Super excited. We've had a good response so far. So Yeah. So something I'm excited about, already a little bit of activity via Facebook. Mm-hmm. So that's exciting. Do you want to jump into that first? Sure. We can jump into questions <clears throat> and then we've got a little bit of current events and then we can go into our subject for the day. Sure. All right. So it says, I have learned, this is from Douglas Frank Bell. Mm-hmm. I have learned a very important lesson in the last few years. If someone says or does something that is racist or sexist, and when I don't agree but say nothing, I am guilty of continuing the behavior. Is it the same with religious beliefs? If I let people think I'm a believer, does that perpetuate an environment of not questioning the beliefs? I'm not saying change their mind, just let them know that you don't agree. Okay. Thanks for the question. We're excited to be up where we can actually take questions now. And I, we know who Doug, it, Doug is, of course, right. which is fun. Um, yeah. I, 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 I did ask him to post the question and get the ball rolling. But <laughs> after reading that, because it's a tough question, at least for me, it was a little bit. I was like, I'm going to ask him to ask me more questions. Well, what he's talking about is the concept of by not doing anything, you are also committing an action. Sure. And so for me, the answer to that question, and I've already kind of texted with him a little bit back and forth about it, is that it depends on the situation. You're not, it's not always your responsibility to set people correct. Your job is mainly to represent your ideas with some measure of integrity. And we are going to consistently talk about that. The situation arises where you're in a group of people, and I've experienced this personally. Someone begins to espouse an idea as an absolute truth or a personal thought, and they just present it without any counter argument. I judge those situations by how much I'm going to stir the pot by interjecting and also by who's around me at the time. I, I typically don't really care. So I will tend to pipe up and be respond in some manner saying, I don't agree with that. I think that's wrong. And here's why. And I'll do that not so much for the person that has made the assertion, but more for the people who are listening to the conversation. Okay. I've done that at my martial arts class um, where somebody has said something that I didn't particularly agree with. There are a bunch of people there. They're all listening. And I was like, 
I don't agree with that. And you can present it in a manner so that you don't end up getting yourself in trouble or upsetting that person also. So it's all in presentation and it's all situational. It depends on the situation. Sometimes it's just not worth it, especially if you're also feeling like you're surrounded by individuals that are just all going to agree with that person. So it depends. It's sure. a very it's a very fluid kind of thing. You should judge it. And then it, it matters to you too. Do you need that level of conflict in your life to go into that right then and there? I definitely hear what you're saying. And I agree that situational awareness is extremely important. In addition to that, we've talked a lot about the world isn't black and white. People's mm-hmm. situations aren't black and white. No. As soon as we start being able to to label people in absolutes, it, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. But what about the principle of it? Let's magnify it. Let's say that you come across someone who's talking about them doing the will of God. And that will of God is like some of extreme behaviors, either bombings or mass suicide or sexual misconduct done in the name of God. So if that person comes up and says, hey, I'm about to do something big in the name of God and it's that extreme behavior, you definitely feel the need or desire or perhaps the principle to step up and say something. Now, I know this example is diluted, but what about the principle of saying, hey, you're telling me you're religious. I'm trying to decide if I should share with you my real beliefs or not. But what if your religious beliefs cause danger? What if your religious beliefs on a less like intense level, what if your religious beliefs put you in a situation where you're in an unhealthy marriage? What if there was an opportunity for that intervention to have happened? So what about just the principle of if you should say something or not say something? I think on principle, those are two very different situations. On a large scale, somebody propagating violence and trying to do something like that, of course you should stand up and say no to that publicly, personally, whichever way you want to do it. And if you don't, then you have made an action of passively just letting that go past you and you don't want to do that kind of thing on the large scale. That's like being quiet about oh, suicide bombers, Islamic suicide bombers. They're fine. I'm not going to say anything against people who do that that's an action, then you should be really cautious with that kind of thing. On the other scale of it, you're talking about on a smaller level. And a lot of that goes to what type of relationship you have with the individual that this comes up with. You and I have talked about trying to be people that sharpen each other. That does not mean we agree all the time. It also means that we can borderline make each other uncomfortable at some points because we're wanting the other person to be better. And we understand the spirit with which that criticism comes at us. So that's what someone would love and care about. When we go into the gray area of something in between these two extremes, you get to a point where you do have to make a judgment call. What you have to gauge for yourself is where you want to land at the end of the day. Because if you're landing at the end of the day saying, or living with I regret that I didn't say that to that person. I regret that I didn't pull that person aside and say, that person's treating you really bad. You shouldn't be in that relationship. That's a bad idea. Even though you really are passionate about it and you're excited about it. That's in, that's a great example of a relationship 
lots of people deal with that as you grow up, as you go on, you've got friends that date different people and this kind of things. And you'll have feelings about those people. To me, religion is a great example of an abusive relationship. The religion treats its adherents as like an abused party. That's how it gets you. At the end of the day, I do want to feel like I call that out. No, you don't need to live under the yoke of that. You don't need to deal with that bullshit. And I feel better if I have said something. That being said, every individual has to gauge where it is appropriate to say something or not to say something. Do what you can live with is, I guess, my answer to that question. But you do take an action by being quiet. One of the things that I think was a a very great word specifically is that in Doug's question, he said, does that perpetuate? Mm. And one of the things that I think about, especially in our society right now, which is a very dangerous thing, is that telling someone, hey, I don't quite agree with that, or I am on the other side of political beliefs or beliefs on major issues or whatever it may be, my announcement of me taking a different stance than you Mm -hmm. oftentimes does perpetuate the problem because people then double down and it's an immediate shutoff. Mm -hmm. Let's say someone comes up to me. Hey, Isaac, do you go to church? No, I, I, I actually, I have a pretty hard time buying into a monotheistic God. I think that might be dangerous to go down that road. Now, what is that person's response? Is it a double down and I'm ready to argue with you immediately? Mm-hmm. Could be. Right? Because that's going to perpetuate the problem. That's going to dig the roots in deeper than if I perhaps say something or say nothing. It's a real coin toss of does that confrontation perpetuate or not perpetuate a situation? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm... But then what if on a larger scale... What if we were in a society where people who didn't believe in God, atheists, Mm -hmm. and people who did experience like some hardships and some negative life experiences because of religion, what if they never said anything? What if the idea of us making this podcast, because we're one of the first few people to say the word atheist, meant there's a good chance that we're going to get killed going to the H-E-B later. Yeah. It's just so hard. Yeah. There can be consequences for inaction and action. And again, that loops around to every individual has to gauge where that is. If you and I lived in Saudi Arabia, we would not be making a podcast about deconversion from the Islamic faith. (laughs) Right. Okay. It (laughs) It would be hazardous to our health. And there are extreme factions of people that can make it hazardous to our health just right here. However, we both feel passionate and safe and try to be as smart as we can about things so that we can do something like this because it's something that we're passionate about and we care about. When these things come up and you're deciding whether or not to engage with someone, there is one other factor that people should take into context of whether or not they're going to speak up about something. And that's why you're speaking up about something. Too much of stuff that goes on right now is all revolving around ego. I don't agree with what that person is saying. I don't like that idea. Or not just ego. It could just come out of a place of anger. You disagree with that idea so passionately. The moment you hear it expressed in front of you from someone 
whether you care about that person or not, can immediately trigger you to be angry. Those are not the best places to come from. There's a place to be angry about and frustrated about things and let people know that you don't like that. But if you're really trying to present an idea, you can run into stumbling blocks really fast when your ego and your emotions get in the way about it. And you need to also keep in context that if this is a particular religious issue of some kind that you're addressing or you're disagreeing with, you can come at it from a very dispassionate viewpoint to present your idea. And they can come at it from a very emotional standpoint. And you attacking the idea can be responded with an emotional reaction from them. And you need to be very cautious of those kinds of things because that can escalate situations very quick. So again, I tend to view it on a spectrum and a gauge as to when and how I'm going to do this. The real telling factor is what I can live with at the end of the day when I go home and I look myself in the mirror. Because I'll give you a really great example of this. I think I've got one that we can roll into this because this really is like the heart of the question or the questions that were presented to us before we move on to whatever our, our primary subject's going to be. I was presented with a situation where I was at my brother's house and a good friend of his had come over. And I tend to be very middle of the ground on politics. I don't really like to engage. I obviously lean a little, little bit liberal, but I don't particularly like to associate with either of the extremes. I think that's the whole problem right now are the extremes on either side. And the guy had come over and he was talking about this Let's Go Brandon thing that came up, which is the background for this for anybody that's curious about is that there was a NASCAR game and everyone started chanting, fuck Joe Biden. And one of the announcers misheard this as being, let's go, Brandon. And so what it became is like a rallying cry in code among the conservative community of saying, let's go, Brandon, is code for fuck Joe Biden. Okay, I had no idea that this has happened, and this is what this guy is talking about, and I was absorbing what he was telling me, but I did not have the full context of the situation or what had happened or why this had come about to land in a position where I would argue with him about it. Fast forward, I went home, I did a little bit of research, I was curious, and my standpoint now for that kind of thing is that it's a very hypocritical thing for people who when Donald Trump was elected, came out and said, oh, he's your president now, so you've got to show him some respect. Joe Biden gets elected, and this is the behavior that comes out of the other side. I have no problem. F both of them. Sure. <laughs> I've said F both of them in multiple realms. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the hypocrisy of the concept. And so I have some regret that I didn't jump to that conclusion a little bit sooner and then argued that with him because I would argue that with him now. I would not stand by while he's in front of me doing this without pointing out the hypocrisy of this. But I would be trying to do it in a manner that is not attacking him, but pointing out the flaw with what this concept is and why I would have a problem with it. But I did not have the why when that first came up in front of me. I didn't completely understand why I would have a problem with it, so I didn't engage. I waited until I had gathered some more information and considered it thoroughly before I would have said anything about it. But having the ability to speak up where you see a problem is something that requires tact and thoughtfulness to do it effectively. 
I guess my main point would be is if you ever do it from the from an emotional or an ego position, you're starting from the wrong position. It also really depends on where you're at. What is your influence? Mm-hmm. What is your financial situation? What are your safety measures to perpetuate or not perpetuate a situation is not the same for every single person. Certain people, if they say something because of their influence, especially now with social media, there's real consequences to what they say. So I think in answering the question, do I say something or do I not say something? I do think you have to have some situational awareness of where you're at in life. Absolutely. And I would loop it around to one other thing, being specifically to the concept of deconversion and people who are leaving religion. We're talking about broader stuff here. When you're going through your through a deconversion or leaving a faith of some kind, these situations that Doug was talking about pre- can present themselves with a higher level of frequency. And we've talked before about having safe places for yourself. You got to protect yourself first. You're no good if you're just a wreck all the time and under constant attack from everybody. So kicking the hornet's nest is not always the best or smartest route for you to proceed with. So I guess I am functioning from a very cautious kind of standpoint because I think a lot of people who are questioning or going through this process right now and listening to this podcast could be more likely to be in the cautious pattern than they should be in the outspoken pattern. I've been doing this. I've been a part of this for, I was looking at the other day. I think I've been deconverted for 12 or 13 years now. I have a whole lot of confidence and a lot of knowledge and I still encounter situations where I'm, now I'm going to go do some more research. So if that's my And you have a support group. And I have a support group. All my stuff's in line. So people have to be very cautious and think about that kind of stuff. And I wouldn't – you don't have to fight every single battle. If you feel that convicted and you need to say something about it for your own personal well-being, I would be the first to cheer you on. Do it thoughtfully and represent your ideas with integrity. That would be my encouragement. Awesome. So – Kelly had a question. Yeah. Was it a question or a statement? A little bit of both. All right. So. It leads into what we just talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Kelly had a statement slash question. And that was, you mentioned in Hillsong that the hypocrisy really bothers you. My question is, do you think there are people woke, in quotation marks, enough to filter out the crap and take home the good? Or does that just make them complacent and also guilty? Also, I have a relative that is, yes, I'm going to say it, batshit crazy. When it comes to her Christian belief, she will badger you until she's blue if you don't agree with her. My response would always be, we just have to agree to disagree. Just wondering if you guys would have a better response that might stop her in her tracks. I know my husband would be able to banter, but I just get pissed and Find it hard to articulate when I get up. It's good stuff. Very common, too. The first question on Hillsong and about whether or not there are woke people that see through the bullshit and still do good. Woke isn't exactly the term I would use for it. Woke is becoming a term that's increasingly, I just don't find it very beneficial for anybody. It's like 
saying or equivocating that you somehow understand everything better than everybody else and can figure this all out. And I just, I think it's overreaching the other way. I think that's why, why I was saying quotation marks. In quotation marks. If she's alluding to individuals inside the church that can see some of the flaws going on and they try to just take the good and then do good, it, it can be a form of enabling. And I, I believe I said in my response to her where I texted her back that I believe that a lot of people can be in the church and they're it's less that they see the problem and it's more that they're just blind to it. They can't see that the problem's there because you're submerged with it and it becomes difficult for you to have a clear, objective view of what's actually going on. We've all been guilty of that. Yeah, everybody. So, of course, there's people within the church that are going to do good, and they would be disgusted with some of the poor behavior and things that have happened at the top. So that's one of those things. You can't throw everybody into one boat. There's going to be a whole mixture. There probably are some people there that know exactly what's going on. They don't care. There's money to be made. They feel like their overall goal is God's goal. So they're just going to ignore it and keep going on. And then there are people who genuinely don't know, and then there's people who turn a blind eye. It's going to be a complete mixed bag of people that do that kind of stuff. So some of those people fall into the category of enabling because they, especially people who really do see the problem and they choose to ignore it and push on anyway, without forcing accountability, without changing a view, those kinds of things. And then there are people who are in it and are just blind to it. One of the things in relation to talking to the family member is that you have to assess who that person is. I recently did a culture and leadership mastermind, and I talked about the importance of being able to establish how you're going to handle conflict and how you're going to communicate and get through issues. And I think as far as communicating with someone about this or having this conversation, are you two people that can have a conflict? Can you have a conversation where there's actually an opportunity for growth, where there's actually an opportunity for you to possibly change your opinion or change your mind based on new information? Or should you just pull out the swords and have a duel and <laughs> the first one dies, you know, yeah. when? So I, I really think it's very much about the, the individual and the relationship that you have. Yeah. To go to her specific question. Whether or not I'm willing to sit and get badgered by someone else is dependent upon one thing. And it has to do with whether or not I feel like I have a sincere back and forth going on with that individual where there is mutual respect, where they're actually listening to what I'm saying, or are they just waiting and articulating their response and not listening to what I'm saying? We've talked about active listening before. This is where you try to silence your inner dialogue because most of us, when we're engaging with someone, I'm talking to you right now, Isaac, you're probably formulating a little bit of what you're going to say next. It's a whole nother exercise for you to try and turn that off and really listen to the words that I'm talking about. Well, there's a difference between listening to someone to understand and listening to someone to respond. Exactly. And I try to gauge whether or not that's happening. And if you can do that, that's fantastic. And then what's more important is can you do that and get tense, get passionate, maybe even get a little angry, and then still loop back around. A great example of that for me is with my older sister. 
we can straight up get tiffed with each other, but we both make that effort. And since there's that mutual respect and that fallback, we can really make progress and grow as individuals because we challenge each other. Even if you don't agree at the end of the day. Exactly. So what I would say to her is that if she's encountering a family member that's badgering her, you've got to gauge whether or not this relationship is something that is, are you getting something from it? Is that person getting something from it from you? And if the answer is no, then it's completely up to you how much you want to tolerate. (laughs) So it's just fun. People who are listening that know, I know who Kelly's talking about. And I've talked to her twice and I can tell you, I can tell Kelly, if you're listening, the answer is no. That woman, <laughs> I can tell you, Michael, that woman ain't hearing nothing. So anyways, I think, I think this is a good segue. We had mm-hmm. discussed on our format that we want to lead into for the podcast being here at the early stages is we want to be able to do some questions from people interacting on the community. We hope that grows and we get unique questions and concepts. We also talked about that we might touch on current events a little bit, and then we can move into what our subject for the day is going to be. And so the current event that I feel like is an elephant in the room on this one, and I think our questions that we just got are really appropriate in the context of some of the broader things that are going on right now. We are, let me preface this. I do not want, and you and I have both discussed, that we do not want this podcast. This podcast is not about politics. Correct. This politi- the, the podcast is not going to advocate one right or left or any of that stuff. That does not properly represent where you and I stand or how we feel about issues. That being said, we will discuss maybe some of the things going on in current events or regarding politics as it would apply to deconversion and people leaving religion or having a problem with it or having to struggle and deal with stuff. So the the one that we have to mention is that we are a day out from the the leak from the Supreme Court that showed a draft showing that the Supreme Court justices are looking to overturn Roe v. Wade. Correct. This To say that this is causing a tsunami is an understatement of people's opinions going either direction. I think in regards to what we just discussed, this is a subject that could crop up in front of you, regardless of your opinion and which way you feel about this. It could put you in a position where you can either be quiet or you can speak up and speak your opinion and how you feel about this issue. I have very strong feelings about it. My wife has very strong feelings about it. That is a great place to take breath because I want to think through and really understand the why and the reasons I feel that way. Because when I inevitably run into a person I disagree with on this issue, my goal is not to bulldoze or bully that person around. My goal is to represent my position with clear thought, integrity, and respect for the other person across the room from me because I don't want to just infuriate them. I want them to rethink maybe what their position is or to consider heartily what my position or feelings are in this matter. Does that make sense? Yes. One of the, one of the tools that I use is, is perspective. 
I try very hard without giving my opinion, without giving my stance on it, present different perspectives and have that person try to come to a decision, agreeing with me or not agreeing with me, from a different perspective. Because we get caught up in our world, we get caught up in our social group, we get caught up in our Facebook algorithm, mm-hmm. and, and it's easy. We lose perspective. And I think it's extremely important that we can be cognizant enough human beings to understand that you have the perspective of the opposite sex, you have the perspective of a different race. And so to say these are absolutes. This is how it is. No questions asked. Yeah, I think it's extremely dangerous. Absolutely. Extremely dangerous. But I suppose the thing that I would advocate for is that I personally, I can only speak to myself with the whole Roe v. Wade situation. I could see how someone who is religious or has grown up in conservative Christianity like I had now I'm distanced from it. I've been deconverted for some time. But I would imagine some individuals who look at this could immediately have problems on multiple levels. On this, you have a series of Supreme Court justices that sat and had to give testimony under oath before Congress. And they all said one thing about how they felt about Roe v. Wade at that time. And now that's apparently not where they are now not far into the future, where they want to summarily change this. For me, it's hard to not disassociate that with an overall goal that I have known has been inside of Christianity for the last three decades, that they want to get rid of this because of their feelings regarding abortion and their feelings on right to life and being pro-life. The contradiction comes in what Christianity espouses about honesty integrity, these kinds of things. I think an individual could look at the situation, at least I do, and feel like they throw out that principle so that they can achieve their goal. It's a situation where the ends justifies the means. And I think for people who are sitting on a fence or just recently leaving Christianity, going through deconversion could look at this and be like, what the fuck? Sure. Okay. Okay. The 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 contradiction and the glaring talking out of one side of your mouth while you think another thing is just so in your face. The immediate reaction that I can feel is anger and frustration. Well, especially, I mean, if you have a uh, faith based, especially Christianity here, and you say, "Hey, I live on the principles of the Bible," and something that is quoted often in Scripture is that all sin is seen equal in the eyes of God, but then you cherry pick which ones are okay and which ones are not okay. And we talked about that, again, not in regards to uh, political or who's, you know, if Trump was good for the economy or if he was able to bring a different perspective and a non-politician in office, perhaps. Yeah. But I do have respect for the Christian people, faith-based people that said, hey, you know what? A lot of these behaviors don't align with the values mm-hmm. that I have as a Christian, and and that bothers me. And so I do have an element of respect for people because that means that person is doing what we're doing. They're questioning their beliefs and aligning them with their values, yeah. even if those values don't align with our beliefs. Absolutely. 
the main thing I wanted to address regarding this current event is less of a, here's what you should think. And it's more of a, here's what I would encourage you to do. If you're an individual that's deconverting or leaving religious faith, or you have left and you see this and it just lights your fire, you need to think about one, why that is, because it's the why that is that's important to be able to convey clearly to somebody and with respect and with clear thought. You need to understand that because anybody can get onto you and be like, oh, you're just mad because of your whatever. You've got to be able to think this through. You have to be able to articulate your ideas with integrity. And that's what I encourage everybody to do. Don't go writing huge freaking Facebook posts about how angry and ridiculous everything is. You need to reflect. And you also need to think about how the situation came up in the first place, if that's what you're mainly concerned about. So reacting emotionally will get you nowhere. And fighting with everyone won't get you anywhere. Knowing the why and how you think is what will move the dial for you. And then showing respect and giving respect will get you respect back. And then you will have perhaps some sound ground to change someone's mind or get them to think of it from a different perspective, like you said a second ago. And I think it's important that when you have that communication, when you have that reflection, to not be emotional. But at the initial response, like you said, you have very strong feelings. Let that initial wave of emotion hit you because mm. that's going to that's going to allow you sure. to to make a decision. Just don't function from it. Let your emotions be a gauge. Yes. For for what's right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's I think that's really important. That, I've said it before. I was like, let your heart influence your mind. Don't let your heart lead everything that you're going to do. Your mind leads. And uh, it doesn't mean your heart's not important. How you feel isn't important. But you need to execute thoughtfully. Otherwise, you can step into problems and have issues. So, so that's what I'd say on current events. Yeah. <laughs> so this does flow nicely into what we were going to talk about mm-hmm. today. Last week, we talked about what is deconversion. Mm-hmm. And this week, we're going to talk about how to go through this process. Hey, I heard your podcast last week. I happen to agree with you guys. I'm struggling with some stuff. I'm on the fence. Or I just left my religion because it's a very toxic environment for me. And I typed in deconversion and you guys came up. I'm just at the beginning of my journey. How do you navigate these waters? How do you reflect on your beliefs like we're talking about right now? Mm -hmm. How do you do the research? How do you go about remolding or reevaluating some of your opinions? So I think that's a general topic that that I'd like to talk about today. Absolutely. So we discussed what it is, obviously. I think a great way to begin going into that subject matter is to talk about how it starts. With any idea or any concept that you believe in, okay, the process of changing that typically occurs when something called cognitive dissonance appears. This is where someone can hold a thought or a belief in something as being true and at the same time realize that it's not true, okay? For me, some of that stuff started to happen revolving around evolution, Realizing the science for that is so strong and that works, but that runs in counterpoint to what I was taught biblically 
we've had quite a few jokes about me believing in young earth creationism. Oh, I did too, baby. Oh, yeah. I can still argue it. So, so th- that's not to say that it's only that. Cognitive dissonance can happen with all kinds of different subjects. And so for those that kind of come up to the road of deconversion, the first thing that happens is you start having these conflicts. Why do they say this and do that? Why do they do that and do this? Why does it say this in the Bible? And we're so serious about this being an issue. And yet it says this in the Bible and no one cares about that. So your brain is designed to look for patterns. If your brain has an established pattern and then it sees something that contradicts it, that's a better pattern, your mind will migrate towards the better pattern. So this tends to happen. And when this happens, it can create conflict. It it makes people question things. And that questioning for me led to deconversion because I started going down these roads and following lines of thought regardless of the consequences, because I wanted to see what was on the other side of this. So I think what we're trying to get to in this podcast is what does that process look like? The first thing I'm going to bounce the question back at you. What do you do when you change your mind, Isaac? For me, before I change my mind on something, there's a conflict. Like you said, there's that first conflict. There is something that doesn't align and doesn't make sense. So immediately, what I do in any area of life is I start educating myself on the subject matter. And that's my very first step. If it's culture, leadership, if it's money, if it's investments, if it's social issues, whatever it may be, when something doesn't click, I'm going to start reading about it. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I found to be very difficult in the information age slash entertainment age slash this craziness <laughs> is that searching out experts isn't as powerful as it used to be. And so for me, one of the best things that I ever did for, if I, to answer your question, is I actually created a audit system for me to qualify someone as an expert. That's what I do first. It's, okay, I need to learn about this subject matter. Here's this person who has very passionate opinions about the subject matter. I'm going to actually qualify that person before I really jump into what they believe. And then lastly, I'm going to use my own cognitive function. Does this make sense? Is this common sense? If I took this principle and dropped it into other things, right, in other scenarios, does it still hold true? I love it. It's great. So you, you have this conflict, you begin to question it, and then you develop a method to question something. You go and do research. You read, you listen to experts, but you don't just take them at your word. You consider what makes them an expert. A great connective tissue for this, for me, was in my college education and studying criminology, you come across the term evidence. People throw around the word evidence all the time. I always like to ask, what constitutes good evidence for you? A lot of times I'll get a blank face. It's just evidence. No, there are different types of evidence. What constitutes good evidence for an idea or against an idea? And for me, the way that I got taught that, and I'm not just throwing out my opinion here. I'm talking about the way scientists look at evidence, the way criminologists like to look at evidence, is that there are three key factors to it. 
It has to be tangible. It has to be recreatable, reproducible. And then it also has to be falsifiable. So for me, that was always a gauging point when I would go in and start looking at ideas. Tangible means that obviously it's something that you can see, feel, hear, touch. It's something that's tangible, if you will. And then reproducible means that it's something that could be reproduced. It's not something that only happens once from one person's perspective. This is why I have a real hesitation at people who say they had a personal experience with something because it's so subjective. It can't be recreated. It only happened to that person. It's not recreatable. And then there is this concept of falsifiable that I think people have a hard time with, which is an idea has to be able to function. It also has to be able to be shown that it could be wrong. If there's no way to prove something is wrong, then the idea is fundamentally flawed. So that is, uh, I'm sorry, I kind of went on a tangent there with like evidence. That to me was just so important. I think it's extremely important because it is, it's a loosey-goosey buzzword. Yes, because right now everyone thinks that if they read an article on the internet, that's good evidence. I would follow that. I would be like, okay, does it fit this criteria? Because to me, evidence has to fall into a very specific category. And just the opinion of someone who has an honorary degree from a, lo- a location and has this personal experience with this thing. That's not good evidence for me. It doesn't work. So deconversion for me spawned from this changing of how I look at concepts, how I look at evidence, how I validate who I'm listening to or who whose opinion that I'm considering. That's so important for people who are going through this process. You have your conflict, you're questioning things, Now you have to reconsider how you question things to a certain extent. I think a very important thing is just because you question something doesn't mean that you're disregarding it. If you are at your church and you're questioning things, that act alone is not negative. It's not bad. I personally experienced that that I was taught that was wrong. It's not. Because at the end of that questioning, you could still have your belief system. You could still say, oh, no, this is for me. So don't feel like that while you're going through the questioning that you have to have this definite answer or that the fact that you're questioning something in the first place means you already have an opinion. You're just saying there's information that's not congruent. And I need to understand why. Is that correct? Would you agree with that? I would completely agree with that. I do have a question regarding evidence and discovery. And here is an example. Greek mythology was used to explain things that the people at that time didn't understand. So, for example, we put a story to lightning. We put a story to the stars. We put a story to the ocean. Mm -hmm. And obviously, that's not evidence. That's clearly not evidence. But what happens when there's something, but I can't tell you what it is? What... Uh, We know there's lightning, right? It falls into your category. But what if I don't know how to explain it? So is there a difference between that? Is there a difference between trying to find evidence for things compared to this recognition that there's something, but I have no idea how to put a label on it? I think you have two choices when you encounter something that you can't explain. I think that telling a story to try and describe something that you don't understand is just you myth-making, if you will. If you don't understand something, the best place to start from is I don't know. 
the whole thing that makes science a really unique process is that it's a process. It's not an absolute. It's not an answer for everything. It's just a process of deduction that you go through to try and take something that you don't know into something that is explainable. Maybe it's not completely explainable. Maybe it's only partially explainable. I was reading an article before I came over here about how they just refired up the Large Hadron Collider over in CERN, Switzerland. And it had been shut down because they had made a bunch. They built this huge, ridiculous machine that's supposed to help us understand atoms on their absolute smallest molecular level and actions that happen at such a small level we can't even comprehend it. They built this huge machine, ran it for a couple of years, and were like, nope, we're not getting everything that we wanted out of this. So let's redesign the whole thing. It just had a complete overhaul. Redid right. the whole thing. It answered a few questions, but it presented a whole lot more. So they changed it and started trying to answer these other questions. This is how we all should behave. This is fantastic. This is how we learn new things. So rather than just trying to fairy tale explain things away so that you can feel better, just stop and say you don't know. Then use a good method of questioning to try and come to an answer. And what you end up with is that you end up with some good answers for some things and less so for others. So let me ask you this question. What is the relationship between evidence, not knowing what something is in that process to try to figure out that you talked about, and opinion? Opinion is something that, just like an idea, it should be open to change. Everyone's going to have an opinion, okay? I have an opinion that when I die, nothing happens. That is an opinion. It's not a fact, okay? I don't know what happens when I die. I don't know what's going to happen. I have a general scientific idea that's really based in science. What do I know? I'm composed of molecules that are going to break down, just like your molecules are going to break down. And we go back into the fundamental base elements of the universe. And we don't know where the universe is going to go or what's going to happen. I've always loved the line in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom where the one guy dies at the beginning. Is, I get to go to the last great adventure before you, Indy. And I love that concept. That's really cool. That being said. That's still your opinion. My opinion is that my my brain functions like a computer. And the moment it stops to functioning and there's no longer electrical signals in there, everything that composes who I am is gone and it turns off. I had to go and have surgery a few years ago for my arm after I blew out a tendon. It sucked. I went under the knife. I was told I was in there for like an hour and a half, two hours. Went by in a split second. I closed my eyes and opened them and I was in recovery. Unlike sleep where you can kind of perceive that time is passing, I was kind of fitful in my sleep last night. It was on and off. And I think when you die, it's something like that. It's complete. It's nothing. And that's an opinion. And that's an opinion. Right. That's an opinion. It's not a fact. It's it. I, I it's think, reincarnation, maybe. That's oh, my opinion. Oh, yeah. Well, whatever you're into, man. But that's your opinion. And I do believe that there are some things that are observable facts that have been validated that kind of go along. 
and we understand them from a certain perspective. And I think that we should trust those things from a scientific point of view. And opinions, everyone likes to say opinion matters, but maybe it doesn't so much. One of the things that I think is important is we can have different opinions. The danger comes when I say this is fact. Yes. Correct. opinion as fact. So having an opinion that Jesus is the, the son of God and he came to save us and someone has that opinion and maybe practices that opinion is different than what we're seeing in churches because churches are telling you this is what it is, correct? Yeah, based on faith. So anyone deconverting is going to have run into the problem of here are these extraordinary things being presented by the church. Here's what happens when you die. Here's how you should live your life. Here's how your sexuality is supposed to function. Here's how you should raise your children. Here's how you should think about abortion. Here's how you should think about gay marriage. Claim, 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 claim. Opinion, opinion, opinion. Where are the facts? to base those opinions and those ideas off of. For me as a Christian, there was this part of me that sat back and said, there was an element of trust. This is what my parents taught me. This is what the church says. The church is good. It does good. That's what my parents taught me. They say that faith is what props up all of these things. To me, I always felt that there was going to be something a little bit more than just it's true because we believe it on faith. And for me during my deconversion, when I found out that those are really just opinions, just people's opinions based on their views of the Bible, and then those opinions could be different depending on the denomination and how someone views the Bible. When I started to realize that, I was... It created some pretty pretty shaky. Yeah, Yeah. got shaky fast. As someone's going through this process, and they're saying, "I am going to start evaluating the legitimacy of this." Mm -hmm. What are some categories or areas that someone should kind of question, metaphorically speaking? That's a great question. I would say that the things that should be put on the stand. And they may already be for some of our viewers that are thinking through these things and concepts. I would say for me, several of those would be, is it historically correct? That's a great one to start from. So you have history, you have morality. Is this morally correct according to your own morals? Is this, does it have consistency regarding morality and ethics? Is it... This kind of goes to history, but I think about it, I think about it from a scientific point of view. Is this literally true? Did this really happen? Is there scientific evidence to back up that this actually occurred? Is the Earth really this old? Is it not? Could someone literally survive inside of a well? No, that's a great one. Yeah. Do you take stories like that literally or not? So a lot of things can get put on the stand. One for me was, is this actually doing good in the world? 
Is this having a mostly positive effect or is this having a mostly negative effect? And again, religion, if you're born into it, teaches you not to ask these questions. You stay away from these. Or if you have these questions, you should only ask them and have them answered within the sphere of the church itself. Go talk to an elder. Go talk to a counselor. Whoever. You shouldn't go and determine this on your own. Well, I don't agree with that. So a few areas you said history. Then you said congruence, right? So matching up ethics with the the principles of what's going on. Morality. Uh, morality. What about science in relation to some of the things that religion claims? For example, prophecy, healing, things of things of that nature. Is there an opportunity to hold religion's feet to the fire when it comes to those type of claims? Absolutely. One that comes to my mind, when I was about, I think I was 16 when 9-11 happened, and I was involved at a my parents' you know, evangelical, charismatic, non-denominational church. When 9-11 happened, the rhetoric at the church revolving around the end times and Jesus coming again and all the book of Revelation and all this stuff just got cranked up to like 11. And I grew up in that. I had no measure or ability to question that at the time. When I went through deconversion and I was in this process of putting things on the stand, as you said, one of the things that came up on the stand was the concept of prophecy and that things are happening the way that the Bible talked about. Right now we have the war going on in Ukraine. There are people who think that's an end time indicator because Russia is involved in doing this and that, and somehow Israel is going to get involved. There's all kinds of weird things that circulate. Especially around Israel. When I was in my questioning phase, one of the things I took a look at was the fact that there were people that thought that the end times were happening during World War II with Hitler and the conquest of Europe. And who could blame them? The world was at war. It was unbelievable. You go look at the numbers of how many people died, how many Russians died during World War II. It's unbelievable. And there were people that thought that was the end times. People thought the end times were happening during the Cold War with Russia and nuclear proliferation. There's a lot of different elements of this. It manifests itself in different ways, and yet it's never been true. For myself, when I read the Bible, another part of my deconversion was when I read the New Testament and Revelation and all these things that people base their thoughts on the end times on, okay? Because that's a very popular topic. If you read it dispassionately, To me, it sounded like Jesus was talking about it happening right then and there in his era, during the era of the Roman Empire. That's what he, when he was talking about the end times and him coming back and rescuing his people, he wasn't talking about way in in 2022 during the war in Ukraine. He was talking about right then and there back during the Roman Empire. So at least that was my interpretation of it. That's my opinion, if you will. I poke a little jest. But we have people doing that today. That went up on the chopping block for me, onto the stand. And I was like, this is such bullshit. 
I, I had a really interesting experience. I went to the tabernacle for the Mormon church in oh, yeah. Salt Lake City. And I did chuckle. And I chuckled because there's this huge 3D model of Jerusalem. And there are like little models of like 3D models of houses and people and little tidbits about Israel and information of that nature. And it showed some information about, I believe it was, you know, Mary and um, Joseph. And it showed them as Middle Eastern people, like dark skin, Middle Eastern, a complexion in this 3D model of Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Then... In the same room, less than five feet away, was white, blonde hair, blue-eyed Jesus. <laughs> I love that one. And I just think to myself, what's happening here? That how did this isn't congruent? No, I, I have. When I was going through my deconversion, we talked about my grandmother. Okay. And for those of you listening, at some point on our podcast, we have a series of our very first conversations where you and I were going over questions that she had left for me after she passed away. I had She had suffered from dementia and she had left these for me and I had never seen them before until we had gone through the house after my grandfather passed away and my mom gave them to me. You mentioned the Jesus thing. I remember at one point, only one time I had gone over and discussed some of this with my grandmother. And I had gone over my grandparents for multiple other reasons than the subject matter. And my grandmother had this picture. I don't know who got it after they all passed away. That is a painting of Jesus. And he just looks like this blue-eyed Aryan kind of version of yeah. Jesus. And I'm like, it's such a... Uh, is he that, a Viking? There, there's no way... Jesus, if he existed, looked like that in the Middle East. But that's the depiction of how he was painted and represented here in Western culture. And and it makes me chuckle every time I see it. I'm like, what the heck, you guys? Yeah. I hate to break it to you, but he's probably was brown at least. And he probably was a socialist by all the standards that you hold politically. (laughs) Very true. So we talked a little bit about history. We've Mm -hmm. talked, we've scratched the surface on science. We've talked about the church's claims and then taking those claims and saying, is this true? Mm -hmm. Do you have proof? Do you have evidence? Is it valid as a way to go through this deconversion? Are there any other categories before I'm going to start asking about resources, but before we do that, are there any other categories like big picture areas that people should consider when going through this deconversion process? I think we, we've definitely tapped the head on the major ones that are just naturally going to come up. I think another major issue that most people that I... This is one I would consider to be like a catalyst that leads to these things coming up for judgment or for us to rethink. And that is the concept of hypocrisy. I think that is such a thing, one that triggers cognitive dissonance and people who are leaving religion. And it leads to questioning all these other things. But it's important to readdress the concept of hypocrisy within the church and how people behave the same one thing doing another, et cetera. 
because when you're deconverting, not only are these other things going to come up on the stand that you're going to go and research and rethink, but it's also important to rethink and consider the element of hypocrisy in of itself, because it's it can so often be the trigger thing that leads you to the questioning. It's another thing to go and research how it has functioned throughout history and how religion utilizes it, how it's affected your life, how people in your life do it, and the stuff you've been exposed to. It's such a codifying element to your questioning. And I think a lot of people, that's just another thing that people will end up researching and looking at. And it can be unique to each of the individuals as they go through things. So if I'm going through this process and I'm trying to figure out if there's any scientific evidence to what happens to when we die, or maybe I'm reading about unique stories about people who died and were brought back, and I'm just trying to figure it out. And I'm in this kind of research period of time, and I share with someone that I'm going through this, and they say, you have to have faith. How do you navigate that? How do you go, hey, I just, I need to have faith What's the response there? What's how does that work into the process? At the stage I'm in now, I'd be I would respond with faith got me into this in the first first place. <laughs> but for somebody who's responding in that way, sorry, I'm thinking about my response. I'm reminded of my nephew and his experience in deconversion. That was such a a stick, a knife when they come back at you and be like, you just need to believe it on faith. I think that's only going to get you if you're in the early stages of a deconversion. Because once you fully understand what they're trying to say to you, when they say you just need to believe it on faith, it no longer affects you. It's not going to affect your research on these other things that you're trying. You've moved on beyond that at some point. If you're not beyond that point, just yet and you're listening to this and when some people come at you and they say you just need to believe this on faith I would encourage you that's basically them looking at you straight faced and telling you you need to not think about this and you need to just believe it you need to accept what I'm saying period yes period based on nothing more than me saying it and if it and if that's your parents and they're responsible for your shelter and you're not a legal adult, you yeah you, you have to right? exactly Somewhat. to a certain extent. But to to take that and ad absurdum, if you will, there is no difference between my parents coming up to me and saying, "Tim, you need to believe the Bible on faith, and you just need to trust in faith that this is true." That statement to me, where I am now is no different than them walking up and saying, Tim, you just need to take it on faith that Batman is protecting the city. Why? Right. Well, because the comic book says so. There is no difference in that rationale if we're thinking of this from a scientific and evidence point of view. There's no difference between that statement and them saying the Bible is true. It's there isn't one. Right. Especially when you are giving your modification of the Bible or your opinion or, or translation of it. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous for someone to say, just have faith and you go, okay. Yeah. You wouldn't do I, it in, 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 in any other context. You wouldn't do that. 
Okay. Yeah. I'm not going to take your word. That well, the I did it. Works right. <laughs> I did that as a business though when I was 23 years old. And let me tell you, it did not end well for me. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Just trust me. Just just have faith. This will work. Well, it 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 sounds great on paper, and it but the moment you move it to application, you start running into difficulties. Let's talk about resources. So we say uh, I'm going through my deconversion process. First steps first. There's a conflict. There's some cognitive dissonance. I'm recognizing it. I am creating my measurement system for how I'm going to evaluate if this is legitimate or not. Just a little side tangent, something I did when I was at the Assemblies of God is we had a evangelical prophet guy speak, and I immediately got the CD of that sermon, and I compared it to his next sermon, and I put that guy on blast because <laughs> he was not concerned. Because he gave like statements of this will happen, so it was, a, it was an actual measurement tool. Yeah. I could actually measure if it would or would not have happened. And so anyway, it's just a fun story. I think that might have been the last straw that got me kicked out. Anyways, so that happens and you go, okay, I'm going to evaluate my system. I'm going to create my own measurements. I'm going to not just accept faith as the answer. Maybe I still do believe in God. This sure. is a process for me. What are some resources that from your experience would be beneficial? Who are What are some books that people should read? And we'll definitely make sure we put this in the listing. And the reason why I think it's important for me to ask you this and for us to tell people sure. is because you've been so invested in this subject and you're so well read on it. You've somewhat have had an opportunity to kind of filter through the, the sure. crap that's out there. Sure. So what are some go-to resources for you personally for anyone who's going through this process right now? Okay. So let's break this down into a couple different facets instead of just books, because let's just be real. A lot of people are not huge book readers. I am. I find it very fulfilling and I will have suggestions that way, but I would rather throw out resources in kind of categories so that people can understand it. And so what I'd like to do is give you my angle of what I leaned into as I started to question things. Okay. The first thing that ended up happening was, ironically, was I was reading books that were not directly associated with non-belief or atheism. It was more just educational material. I was reading some books on anthropology. I had read some books that were about how religions develop culturally. I read one book that was called Cows, Pigs, Wars, and Witches. That's by, I believe the guy's name's Marvin Harris. And it's a book about how these really weird cultural things can manifest inside of uh, group beliefs. And that was a really fascinating book that kind of got the juices flowing and was very interesting. Um, the, the other aspect of this was an enormous amount of watching stuff on YouTube. Gotcha. There's so much stuff out there. There's so many debates and people who are very well informed on different things. And again, I use the gauge of how do you gauge if that person's really an expert on it? Go look up their bio, look where they went to school, look what they studied. Right. That's a great way to do it. But I watched a lot of Richard Dawkins. I watched him debate and that involved into me watching Christopher Hitchens debate. We've already plugged both their books, I believe at some point. And anyone going through this Maybe we can post a few good debates. Yeah. I've got a top 10 list I was building. Not too oh, long. yeah. That's pretty cool. It's got a bunch of different debates in it. So I really like to plug uh, Seth Andrews' book, which is Deconverted. 
Right. We semi stole the name. Not really. Yeah. Uh, we had it. We De- we added the, we added the in podcast. <laughs> I hope he will forgive us. And it's not id. It's you know I O N. So. And I'm still getting it red underlined every time I write it in something because it's not really a word yet, yeah. which is fun. It'll be fun when that stops happening. I I love <laughs> Seth Andrews. You yeah. want to talk about a good resource for me? I would almost say that he was the precursor to me, Julie. With the, with the exception of Richard Dawkins' books, Seth Andrews' material on The Thinking Atheist, the podcast, his book, was a precursor to me to a lot of the other stuff, such as Sam Harris, Dennett, Hitchens, all of those other things, because I just got involved with the community on Facebook. I would have engagements, talk to people, listen to his podcast. I went and saw him in San Antonio one time when he gave a speech. That was a great resource to me. Again, I- community. I'd like to interrupt you. So when we decided to start this project, I joined a handful of different Facebook groups around this subject. I also joined some Facebook groups that are titled like Atheists versus Christians or Mormons versus Christians Mm -hmm. and things of that nature. Some of those groups, it's a bloodbath of ridiculous statements and bashing and getting back and forth. That's a huge reason why we've created this community. Mm -hmm. But was there any Facebook communities or podcasts that you really felt like created a great environment for like genuine questioning, genuine conversation. Yeah. And that would have been the thinking atheist. And I also created one for my local community, which was Kerrville free thought for a long time. And I've still got it. I'm not as active on it as I used to be. That kind of comes from a general, I've withdrawn a little bit from so much online engagement with the exception of this project, I really don't engage on a lot of other platforms. But I did that and found a lot of local friends uh, that had either been through a similar experience or were already non-believers, and it generated a really great support group. Seeking out things online like that are a really great resource. We'll make sure some of those are in the, the show notes for everybody. Any documentaries out there? The documentaries I watched, I did watch a couple. Let's see. Uh, the one on Scientology on, on – Oh, the one – That's that, good. Go, was it going clear? It, I think it's called – well, I know there's the documentary and then there's the, the series that Sarah Remini did. Absolutely, yeah. Which, just a little disclaimer, somebody will say, well, that's Scientology. Mm-hmm. No, I no, encourage you to watch it and and – Maybe compare if there's a lot of correlation or similarities Absolutely. to what you're going through. Because it's easy to just regard it as those cuckoo people. Mm-hmm. But when you extract some specific examples and compare it to other churches' doctrines or beliefs or how they handle things, especially like the old Mormon church, yeah. just from some of my readings, it's very fascinating. Tell me the difference. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's, it's so, close to home. So I watched that one. That was a particularly moving one. It was very interesting. And again, it's the comparisons. It's not exactly the same thing, but there are very serious similarities. And you're and, and if you're listening to this and you're going through this process, you're an intelligent person. Don't underestimate of, hey, does this make sense or not? <laughs> exactly. Because if you ask, because if you do, just don't be scared to use your own thought process. Yeah. There are just – I remember watching a lot of uh, Arn Ra's stuff on how evolution works or the flaws with creationism. That He has a series – it's getting up there now that was on YouTube and it was part after part about 
how that worked. I remember watching that and being really fascinated with it. There's an element that I would like everybody to really absorb, which is this doesn't have to be a painful experience. This can be a very rewarding and fun experience. So much stuff. There's so many cool ideas and concepts. I've always said that the realities of the world are more like sci-fi and Star Wars and just amazing, cool shit than anything the Bible threw out there. The reality is so much more interesting and so much more rewarding. No one should get deterred from enjoying that while you go through this process. And I really sincerely feel that religious belief and faith robs you of that. It right. robs you of it. And you I, should enjoy the experience. Going a slight tangent but what you said about the, the robbing and, and, and going. One of the things that's been very difficult for me in, in, in that process of questioning things was, why do I believe this and when did I decide that this is how it is? Yeah. Just answering those questions to your fundamental beliefs can shake them up, which can at first be scary, but know that you can replace them and or you can solidify them. But it was daunting. I, I actually wrote on my – you guys can't see it. I have this huge dry erase board. I'm a dry erase board freak and have been for 15 years. But I wrote, why do I believe – I would write the belief, then I'd write why, and then I would write when. And not just on this subject, on multiple subjects and areas of my life. And it's a practice. Yeah, absolutely. And you're responsible and you reap all the benefits by doing this. So I have a few thoughts uh, or questions. Does self-help, health and wellness, psychology, does any of that kind of in get incorporated or was that anything that helped you in this deconversion process? That's a really interesting question. Talking about self-help, I feel like the whole process to a certain extent was an act of self-help. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So that being said, my whole opinion on actual help, like going and talking to a psychologist or doing that kind of thing, I didn't end up doing that until a later point in life. And finding someone who would keep their religious preference out of their psychological practice here where we live in Texas could be a bit of a challenge. It can. I felt very fortunate that I did get an individual who could keep a boundary on that. And I established it when I went in and I was talking to him that this is where I am and this is how I feel about these kinds of things. And saying you want to pray for me after a session is just not going to knock a fly. So if people need something like that while they go through this process, I would highly encourage it. I just you, – you would need to be very selective on how you approach or who you would trust with that responsibility. I would suggest you look for a professional. Is there any vulnerability of I'm leaving my church and now I found this like really great group and maybe just jumping into their ideology, healthy or not healthy, a little too much? I'm like a – uh, you know, I'm spiritual ayahuasca mm. sun goddess. Yeah. <laughs> you can uh, – I think when you fully grasp the change in thought process that comes with this, it makes you a little bit less vulnerable to 
let's say, hokey ideas. Christianity is not the only hokey idea, guys. There right. are a lot. There's all kinds of stuff that falls apart under harsh scrutiny. Homeopathy, natural medicines, stuff like this, all to varying degrees can fall under the guise of hokey, depending on who you're talking to or how you analyze it. So there are some people that jump out of this and then they run headlong into other things. I, when I was listening to the born again <clears throat> podcast at one point and they, as they were don't going through their deconversion, they talked about listening to the, um, I'm going to mispronounce this, but I'm going to try the Bhagwan Rashnish. I think is the way that you call them, who was a guru who came from India, I believe, and then had a huge following up in Montana or somewhere. He established like a colony and they got ran into conflict with the locals. There's a great documentary about it on Netflix that's called Wild Country. Another thing I highly recommend, fascinating look into cultish religious belief, even though this guy was a free, loosey-goosey, Christians didn't like him. But he was a guru. And the gentleman on the Born Again podcast had mentioned reading his book. There's a lot of good stuff in that guy's book. But he is also a guru and out there. But it makes sense that you come out of this, you can still semi-be vulnerable to other concepts that are hokey in a different way. Let's put it in that yeah. context. What about, like, philosophy? Philosophy? There are good philosophies inside Christianity. Okay. You might want to hold on to some of those. Some stuff about charity, stuff about how to treat other people. There's some good philosophies there, but your philosophy may change and you may develop other concepts and philosophies. Did you ever find yourself digging into like Stoicism or Marcus Aurelius? Did leaving church and, and doing the deconversion process, did you seek out anything of that nature? Yeah, I did. I read Marcus Aurelius. I've mentioned before, I did a run of the Greek philosophers, if you will, Greek and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, it made you rethink of it. It also makes you think that some of this stuff has been around a whole lot longer than just Christianity has had it around. So we're going to start wrapping this up. We've, we've talked about thought processes. We've talked about how to evaluate things. We've talked about the difference between an opinion and evidence, which is extremely important. We've talked about hypocrisy and measuring this up with each other. Now, I want to just end, and maybe this is a subject that we could dig a little bit more into, but I just, I'd like to throw in a few things. We're talking about things on a very intellectual level. Sure. What about social level? My kids go to this church. They grew up in the church. I used to have a high position in the church, or I lead this Bible study every Sunday, or mm -hmm. a lot of my clients are there. What about, I, I, I just listed too many things, but what about just maybe being embarrassed or not wanting to to go back on your identity. What about some of navigating those types of waters? I think that's a great question. It takes a inordinate amount of self-confidence to go back on something that you've been doing your entire life and change an opinion that you've had for not a few weeks or a few days, but things that you've held to for years and know nothing different. It puts you into a position where 
it could be very much an easier proposition to double down and just stick with what you've got versus saying, no, I'm wrong. I'm going to change my opinion on this and worrying about people thinking less of you, worse of you, all of these things. I think that the subject of the social impact of deconversion is a subject for an entire podcast, maybe a series of them, because you're now you're we're addressing the emotions that come along with all of this and the impacts that it actually has on your life. What we've talked about today is the process of questioning things and things that you go through and you do this. This is a very personal thing that occurs. What you're talking about on the social impact is something that publicly occurs. What about just emotionally? Oh my God, I can't believe I've fallen for this. I, oh my, the amount of money that I've given the church. Let's say I'm not even going to announce it, but just that wave of oh yeah, all that stuff. That's going to depend wholly on the individual and how they deal with self-criticism. If you're really hard on yourself to the extent that to acknowledge a failure of that level or a change or the concept that you're wrong causes you to feel that level. There are people that can feel that level of emotion and it will put up a wall immediately to where you're not going to move any further. You're going to stop right where you're at and you're going to continue what you're doing because the pain or the hardship to press past that wall is going to be a barrier you cannot surmount or surmount. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. So you can't surmount that wall. There are people that are going to be that way. I would encourage people to take the bitter pill and realize. It gets better on the other side. It gets better on the other side. I think having that type of wall in your life, forget all the other stuff. I think that wall is worth addressing. If you're the type of person who has an emotional wall that goes up when you realize that you're wrong and you have to admit you're wrong or you have to change. That wall's the problem in your life because that's going to keep you back from all types of progress. And not just this area Absolutely. Of life. This is a problem with the way that you're thinking about your life. We're all going to be wrong. We're all going to make mistakes. We all have made mistakes. And we get across them all the time. This is a bigger wall. Because right. it can be so well established from a young age. Your parents passed it to you, whatever. But it's no different than the one that says you were wrong last week about whatever, X, Y, Z, whatever it was. It's no different than this is the same wall. It's of different magnitude. I think having anything like that in your life that will get in your way is a problem. Even if it's limiting beliefs or how you use your finances. Yeah. Just in any area of that life. But it can be overwhelming at first, but. Like you said many times, take a deep breath. Know that you don't have to announce this to the world. It's a process. But maybe that is a really great subject for our next podcast is this wall of the emotional boundary that you run into of having to acknowledge that you were wrong about something. It's hard. especially That's really, really Especially if you raised your kids that way. Especially if you stayed in a marriage for way too long that you shouldn't have. I may be at fault because – My personality didn't have a huge problem with that. I may have jumped that a little bit easier than other people will. And everything that we talked about today regarding changing beliefs, how you think about things and doing this kind of stuff happened after I jumped that wall. 
Maybe we got the cart before the horse today, but Possibly. we're still breaking this down thinking about, I'm okay, no, I can be wrong. I think this was a great following episode because it is. You don't go from, this is my belief, this is how I live my life, to immediately, I'm going to get deconverted and I'm not here. It's a process. Yeah. And, and so much of that is the intellectual side of it. Absolutely. But I think what happens is I think the emotions start to rise as you start unraveling Things that we, don't make sense. And we, my, my nephew Ryan and I talk about this because we talk about regret and feeling like we made a mistake and did things wrong, so forth. He deconverts when he's like, I can't remember, he was 22 or 23. I deconverted when I'm twenty, about the same age. So we have this same bracket of life, he and I do, of where we feel like, man, I wish I could go back and do that different. I would play the, my cards entirely different. And we have that regret. That wall that we jumped over was without, not without difficulty, but we did it, is very different than, say, take my older brother. He's, you know, 10 years my senior. Now you've just tacked 10 years of error, if you will, if we're going to view, I don't right. view it exactly that way as error, but it could be perceived that way when you're deconverting. He, you have to tag 10 years of that onto him. That's all, that wall just got bigger. Go to my older sister. That's an even bigger wall to hurl. So the want to double down and, and say, no, I wasn't wrong. There's just still some form of this. It gets more and more difficult for people to hurdle as they get older. And I think we should compliment people who have gone through that wall. Because mm-hmm. it takes an immense amount of courage, an immense amount of character to have lived the majority of your life with a belief and then question it and then be able to go and, and tell people that, hey, this isn't this isn't what I believe. I don't think this is right. I, I, I really – it's something to be proud of yourself for. It really is. And people struggling with it, you can – you could easily get caught up on the negatives and we're all prone to do that. You really should not do yourself the disservice of not acknowledging the amount of courage and effort that it takes to go this route and to live a life like this. It takes work. Yeah. It's not perfect. It's messy, but it's, it's and this, worthy of praise. And this work is going to show up in other areas of your life. This is a behavior, a mentality that, that translates far, you know, past this. And I, I think that's something that's extremely exciting, at least for me. Oh, um, I, I, I completely agree too. We've talked about how people, uh, religious individuals can particularly end up in a point where they tend to fall back on this crutch of this must be just what God wants. I lost that job. That's This must be part of God's plan. I didn't get that job. That was part of God's plan. You know what? Fuck that. Maybe you should have worked harder. Right. Maybe you should take some, Maybe you should go back. Maybe that's not how this ends. Maybe you go and fight harder. Maybe you determine this stuff. And you don't want to have that mentality in your brain. We're all going to deal with failure. Mm-hmm. We all should learn from it, move forward, and continue after our goals. But this mentality of being the mercy of the flow of God's plan that you don't really know what it is, maybe that's not a great mental place to be. It's a really easy scapegoat. Yeah. And it's not a scapegoat where you should have gotten the job. But if you're real quick to say it's not God's will, you're never going to get better. Yeah. You're never going to get better. It makes me think about, I'm I'm reading this book because it's sitting on your shelf and because I got interested, which is Jocko Willink's book, who's a former- Are you enjoying it, by the way? Oh my God, it's so good. It's it's fantastic. (laughs) 
When it, I read that book, it was the book I needed to read. I didn't want to read. Yeah. And we'll plug it for everybody. It's called Extreme Ownership. Yeah. And you know what? I don't I have no clue what that gentleman's religious beliefs are. And I don't care. I don't care. His philosophy of you take responsibility speaks to everything that I agree with. You are ultimately responsible. And if you want to move that dial, you have the double-edged sword of you bear responsibility for the success and the failure. And the win of that is that you're responsible for your success. And then the lose of that is that you're usually responsible for what's gone wrong. You're always responsible for what went wrong. And I think – And it's a very empowering way to live life. But it does run counterpoint to people who just are like running this, well, it's all God's plan. And they accept failure or they pass the buck or they blame something else. Mm -hmm. And I love that mentality of – Let's win. Right. My wife's been picking on me because he has got this line where he was talking about people coming to him saying that things are going horrible, this or that. And his response for when things go horrible is good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> good. It's going wrong. That means we're going to do it this way. We just learned something. We're going to figure this out. And I love that attitude. I, it's easy to say you love it. It's a harder thing to practice it for certain. But I love that attitude. I right. love it. Because – you just don't – you aren't in control of everything. The only thing you're in control of is how you react to things. Right. And that is a position that you take when you deconvert. You're now taking ownership for and, everything. And taking that ownership too is also – you don't have the – taking that ownership also means that you don't have to blindly accept what you're – pastor says or no. you're that's something that I've always had such a hard time of how are you qualified to tell me how to live my life and and not in a positive or negative way but in a very sincere way of if I accept your advice that might affect my wife my children that might affect my parents like you've said before that's a earned position. That's just not a, a given position that church leaders have. I mean, j- just as a thought when you're going through this process and trying to evaluate, go, hey, it, should this person have this much influence in my life? Yeah, absolutely. So I think I think that's a good stopping place, man. I think ascending on complimenting the people that get through the wall. Yeah. And kudos to the people that have really big walls. Yeah. That that it takes a lot of courage. Absolutely. So until next week, right? Until next week. Oh, small little plug though. Oh, plug. If you're going through the deconversion process and you're looking for a resource, we will eventually have a course. Oh God, yeah. That's our other project. Yeah. And to really help streamline this process for you. Yes. I have to be the plug guy. That's my job here. Yeah. I'm T- the, I'm Tim's the, the details. Tim, Tim's the expert. I'm, yeah. that's. I'm here to make him money. Okay, yeah, everybody. exactly. <laughs> no, well, I'm serious. No, we're here to help people. No, that's that's, that's gonna, the most, that's the biggest priority. That's gonna, That's a fun, that's a fun project. That's going to be something that's different later and down the road for everyone. Mm, yeah. So it'll be good. All right. Until next time. Thank right. you everybody for listening. Have a great day. I think that was the best one. I think it's the best one, but I really do think it's the best one. <laughs> We're going to have t-shirts that say, I think that was the best one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs>
<laughs> I have a lot of sexual jokes, but we're, let's pass. <laughs> All right. That's good. good one. Cheers, good one. brother. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's let's turn this off.